Welcome to the next episode of the Radio Data Podcast. Today, our expert guest is Jonas Björk, who lives in Sweden and works as the Chief Technology Officer at ACAST. Uh, Jonas, it's my pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me, Adam. It's, it's great to be here. Likewise. And let's start with the introduction. So could you please tell us more about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, as, as you said, Jonas Björk, uh, I'm currently Chief Technology Officer at ACOST. Uh, I've been at ACOST for about five years or a little over five years already. Time flies. Uh, before that, I was at Spotify working with the host of the show, Adam Kava, uh, for a few years uh, back in the Hadoop era at Spotify. Uh, but if, if we if we quickly just jump back a bit more in time, uh, I throughout my career uh, mostly been working with data and in the data uh, space. After university, I started my career as as many engineers at the time at Ericsson uh, research, uh, working at at the machine learning department over there. Uh, so for a few years, uh, working with like internal uh, applied research in the machine learning space, uh, looking at different business opportunity in, in kind of the, the software uh, offering that that Ericsson uh, were working at the time. Uh, mostly working with recommendation systems. This was at the time of, of the Netflix price and, and, you know, everyone were building recommendation systems and it was uh, the hottest thing to, to uh, work with at the time. Uh, and it was super fun. Uh, and uh, that's also where I started working a bit broader with, you know, just software engineering in general because it was very applied research so we had to build proof of concepts uh, of you know everything we kind of came up with uh, after that i left for a, a, a smaller company a startup even though we didn't call ourselves a startup i guess it was a startup uh, where we were trying to to build and, and offer a, a business intelligence as a service uh, so at the time they had had identified that uh, a lot of the, the big users of, of business intelligence they were operating at this really expensive proprietary like Terra Cloud and, and, and MicroStrategy enterprise expensive license platforms to kind of get the leverage uh, they needed from from that type of, of products and. There were a lot of open source offerings starting to pop up, uh, both databases and, and BI tools and whatnot. Uh, so they wanted to build a managed uh, BI offering, cloud-based, uh, to, to offer to the kind of segment of customers that couldn't afford those really expensive enterprise solutions. Uh, so it was super fun and interesting kind of working with the entire stack of, of, you know, both getting the technology up and running and, and getting all those open source projects to to function together in a, in a smooth offering, but also kind of to experience the whole sell cycle and, and, and you know, be able to find and, and get customers on board and constantly generate value for them. If I remember correctly, this was the time that we met first time because uh, you gave a presentation at our Stockholm Hadoop user group meetup at Spotify office, I think maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, something like that. No, it, it's, it's, it's correct. So we started uh, started also looking at, at uh, you know, exploring the Hadoop ecosystem and, and everything in that space and 
had some stuff that we were working on and and uh, I got in contact with you uh, we presented at the Hadoop meetup which you were organizing for many many years it was a amazing meetup I learned so much stuff in all of those sessions so thank you for doing that for so many years for the Stockholm community uh yeah which which eventually led to me joining Spotify uh and and uh, most of my time there I worked in the data infrastructure side of things uh at the end, I, I moved over to to uh, working with search uh, and the search teams in, in Stockholm. Uh, yeah, so that's a, a little bit background on on myself. Uh, and then you decided to join Acast. Could you please tell us more about Acast? What what is the company doing? Why you decided to join Acast? Absolutely. Uh, so, I mean, Spotify was was great. I learned so much. I mean, you've been there as well. There were uh, really talented people and a really kind of inspiring environment to be in, and especially in the data landscape. Uh, I, I, we were dealing with pretty new problems and, and trying to solve things in uncharted territories. So that was super fun. So what, what really uh, led me to ACOS, so at the time when I joined ACOS, the tech department was, you know, 15, 17-ish people uh, and, and we're just starting to kind of take off in terms of scaling organization and technical architecture and everything. And, and I met up with, with Johan Bilgren, one of the co-founders uh, and, uh, you know, really kind of bought into to the vision that was presented but then also like i was a heavy consumer myself for podcast it's a it's a medium i find extremely valuable uh especially from a kind of educational point of view i, I listen to a lot of mostly in, in in technology space and just to learn new stuff and and you know be inspired by interesting people so i really in, enjoyed the the medium in itself and and uh, the thing that's still a cost stands for kind of represent this that we have the, the, the you know we talk a lot about you know, an open podcasting ecosystem and and what does that mean but i think the uh, putting some other words on it we another way to describe it is that that it it's one of few uh, permissionless publishing and permissionless consumption and what do i mean by that it's anyone can start a podcast like you don't need to agree to terms of services of one of these you know big proprietary tech giants and and you know there there's no gatekeeping in the podcasting ecosystem so it becomes very democratic from that point of view so and the threshold is pretty low as well it's pretty easy to get started which means that you know any voice can get out there in the world and the same goes for for the consumption side like anyone can pick up and, and parse this RSS feeds that are out there. Pretty much anyone can build a player if you're not happy with the players that exist. So like that balance, it's 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 quite much resembles how internet kind of operates and, and, and works in terms of having a permissionless publishing and a permissionless consumption. And that whole idea of, of you know enabling that and building the infrastructure and the platform and, and, and the future for podcasting in that space uh, got me really you know, excited and inspired. And that's still what, you know, gets me out of bed every morning. I find it super interesting to be be part of this industry and, and to drive it forward. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, let's now 
talk more about data and analytics in the podcasting industry, especially at Acast. So could you please share, share us some information about what type of data uh, do you collect and process and what business use cases you implement on top of uh, such data? So it's it's quite interesting from from some aspects, uh, you know, drawing making some references here uh, to to Spotify since we both uh, work together on on that side of things. I hope the listeners uh, can, you know, relate as well to some extent. So uh, you know, in in both cases, uh, most businesses, like if you build an e-commerce site or or whatever type of business you run online. Typically, the, the like financial aspect of your business is a very you know transactional data set somewhere. Like there's a credit card swipe, or or it, it's pretty easy to know what is what. Uh, but at at you know both Spotify and Acast, it's it's not that trivial. Like you need to define and and when should we count the listen to be valid and. You know, did we have ads running in that listen or not? And what, you know, advertiser did that come from? And, and you know, all the, the data pipelines and the computations you need to make just to figure out how much money is who making and, uh, you know, what was referred to as the, the royalty pipelines at Spotify. And we have, uh, we, we call it the calculation pipelines, like internal A cost. Uh, I think that's fairly unique in terms of both volume of data that you need to to do that and and running like the core of your business on on those uh, volumes of data uh, pretty much originating from server logs like you're picking up server side logs and you need to to in our case since we don't own the client uh, at, at Spotify you have more control and can put uh, instrumentation in the client since podcasting can be consumed anywhere we we operate only on the server side of things and need to kind of recreate user state and sessions and whatnot on our end to see did the user or the listener listen to enough of the podcast for it to be counted as a listen did it listen to the ad in the beginning did it listen to the ad in the middle and so on and so forth uh, so so that uh, that is an, an interesting challenge in itself uh and i mean if we look at i mean it's billions of requests coming in monthly uh on on, on those ad points where we serve audio files uh so there's for sure high volumes of data uh and and the entire business run on that core data set uh, so, so that's uh, that makes things uh, both challenging and and interesting at the same time. I think you probably remember and song at, yes. at Spotify being kind of the core of everything. So, our, our equivalent of that. So, the kind of what what dictates in podcasting how to count listens and how to count ad impressions. So, the International Advertising Bureau (IAB) released a podcasting measurement specification uh, to ensure that all platforms use the same logic uh, when you classify a valid listener or not so you can compare you know statistics across uh, hosting platforms uh, so you implement those and then you have an external auditor coming in from IAB and you walk through the implementation of those metrics together to kind of get certified that uh, that you have an accurate, you know, interpretation of that requirement. Uh, you said that in your case, it's more difficult because you 
you can only analyze the server logs and based on those logs and also requests to a third party services, you can build the business events. Like the user started listening to some podcast. The user listened the first minute of the podcast or the user listened to the given advertising in the podcast. Is that true? Correct. Uh, mm -hmm. Correct. Uh, and I mean, we 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 have web-based like embed players where we collect first-party data as well from our own clients. We used to have a mobile app as well, which we discontinued last year. Uh, and and uh, so I mean, there are uh, ways and mechanisms to to get like uh, first-party client-side data, and you can use that to build models and train and make sure that you. Uh, your your server side logic is is uh, accurate enough for for the purposes you you're dealing with, uh, but yeah, I mean given given how again the the industry functions, uh, you have many many podcast hosts and you have many many podcast players or podcatchers, uh, mm -hmm. and that entire kind of ecosystem is is reliant on that too. To yes, work. and uh, the use cases that you mentioned are related to finance, advertising, and I believe that many of them are internal use cases so that uh, your company uh, stakeholders know how the business is doing. There is also necessary information in case of any audits uh, to make sure that the podcasts are counted correctly. And how about any useful information for the podcasters? Uh, so personally, I also use Acast to distribute uh, radio data to uh, other podcasting applications like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I get a lot of interesting insights in your web portal. And can you tell a bit more about them? Yes, uh, and those metrics are are uh, most of them are originating from from the same sources, like basically. Uh... You know our audio distribution when we deliver audio to someone listening to the podcast out there like how, how much information can we decorate to that listen and, and how much insights uh, can we draw from that uh, so i mean it, it's it's everything from you know obviously the geographical distribution of, of your listeners uh, we can infer uh, all, all types of you know, interest and demographics and whatnot uh, for different use cases. Uh, you can look at listen rate, like how for how long do people listen to this episode? When do they drop off? Uh, will they stick around to the end of this podcast episode or will they drop off earlier? And as a creator, you might be able to kind of try different formats of the episodes and see does this make the listener stick around longer or do they drop off and so on and so forth. Uh, so, so there's a lot of... of things we can do uh, with the data uh, from those sources and pushing it up to the creators and help them both understand their audience and, and uh, the content, how, how the content creating is performing. Mm -hmm. uh, and what are the key metrics or dashboards or maybe data sets that you look very often as the CTO of the company? I was... Thinking about that a bit coming in here, uh, what, what is is there something that uh, you know is, is a constant thing? And obvi obviously, like general growth metrics, like how many shows are registering with us, and you know, how many shows are publishing, and, and and all of that is is data that we're continuously looking at. Uh, you know, 
obviously financial data as well of how the company is performing uh, in, in different markets around the world. Uh, but but otherwise, I think it's more related to like different type of initiatives that we're working in different periods of, of the company. And we recently uh, released um, a self-serve ad buying uh, way for advertisers to to sign up with a cost and, and buy ads directly on the website uh, without involving uh, any a cost staff in that uh, in that journey uh, and that's pretty exciting because it's it's a very new type of use case for us we've typically been been uh, dealing with demand uh, the advertiser from from larger uh, buyers you know spending big advertising money on and bigger campaigns uh, but we really want to enable any advertisers to to reach uh, the podcast audience. Uh, so, like this year, that's probably the metrics I'm looking at the most to see you know, what type of advertisers are coming on board and what markets and you know mm-hmm. how many impressions are we delivering through that demand source and so on and so forth. Uh, so, I think it's it's more related to depending you know what type of initiatives we're working on in in the mm-hmm. offering. I believe that this is combined with the the user data, in this case, advertisers, uh, plus product analytics, because uh, this this data can give you interesting feedback, whether the end users like a given uh, feature, or maybe it becomes difficult or easy uh, for them to to use uh, the product in a given way. Correct, and and if you look at you know when when we discontinued the mobile app, uh, which which was uh, the kind of the touch point we had to listeners, and listeners are obviously uh, you know much larger larger in in volumes compared to number of advertisers or number of creators. Like the the products we're offering and the, the stuff you interact with when you're publishing uh, podcasts in a cost. Uh, so I think our latest public number uh, was 92,000 uh, shows in our catalog. So that's 92,000 uh, active, uh, you know, people interacting with with our tools. Uh, while we have, you know, 430 million listens every month. So it, it's to your point, it's very different type of data and very different type of use cases, you know, trying to draw conclusions from uh, from the listener data coming in versus understanding as a creator and you want to publish a new episode, like where, where do we have friction in a product and where are people getting stuck in terms of going in and editing or using the tools and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, but but to some extent, both of those use cases, that's our product. I mean, that's what we do. We we distribute audio for the creators and we help them monetize and make money from the work and we help them grow their audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some touch points are web applications to our customers and, and some touch points is uh, just how we distribute audio and, and see kind of wh- where that distribution is happening around the world. Yes, yes. And you mentioned that your users are using various tools. And ACAS is actually ecosystem of different tools because there are some companies that ACAS has acquired in the past. And one of them makes it possible to use AI to improve the quality of the podcasts. And can you tell a bit more about this, how different AI techniques could be used to improve the audio quality or improve the podcaster or listener experience 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe first, uh, just a quick uh, background on on you know data at a cost. So uh, when when we started working uh, with uh, getting data, uh, twenty nineteen, I think. Uh, yes. At, at, at that time, we had a centralized data team uh, that kind of were managing data pipelines and, and everything, data infrastructure and, and, and systems related. Uh, while the rest of the organization were really moving to a decentralized owner structure of you know, very autonomous teams uh, running their own systems, being on call for their own stuff and so on and so forth. Uh, so quite, quite quickly as we gained uh, critical mass in in data skilled people and data competence. We decentralized all those people we had out to these product teams and wanted to to get the kind of data competence closer to the products that we were building uh, and and closer to the you know actual value creation in terms of of delivering value to the customers and not having the other teams kind of relying on a central team to do the data work for them. Uh, so, so, so in in that uh, environment where, uh, when, when you say that we have a diverse set of technologies and data stacks and whatnot, it's it's also partly an you know, artifact of that because then we have all these autonomous teams making slightly different choices in terms of, you know, what tools they think is is the best tool for the use case they are solving for. Uh, so uh, we have somewhat of a. a uh you know data stack originating from from that uh, space uh, but then as we we started moving everything into aws because we used to run uh, we used to run stuff in in azure back in the days and then we moved to on-prem machines running on bare metal and then we moved into aws for <laughs> that whole journey is probably an episode in itself uh why we made all those choices uh, today we're in AWS, and, and over the last two years, we've been trying to kind of streamline quite a bit in terms of how we operate on that. So just you know, agreeing that uh, data across teams we put in S3, we uh, data that's shared across teams is Parquet. Uh, we use Athena as kind of a query layer on top of it, and and have this kind of cross account. Kind of data mesh ish setup because the teams produce data in their own data sets and we have this kind of glue catalog sitting on top of it to to make it accessible across this decentralized ownership structure that we have uh, but then also we acquired companies and we acquired uh, podchaser last year uh, that is is you know very much uh, centered around data and, and you know having the knowledge graph of podcasting in the world. So you know, some refer to the IMDB of podcasting. So if you want to know anything about podcasting or what shows have this guest been on and so on and so forth, uh, that kind of knowledge graph uh, is, is what Podchaser, among other things, have built up through the years. So they also come in with a different set of technologies and, and uh, technology stack. Uh, and then you know, moving into uh, your your question was mostly around AI, and and I, I think you know with the advancements we're seeing in in the AI space, uh, that's on top of mind for a lot of people. Uh, and I, I, there's a lot of use cases and interesting stuff happening in in podcasting as well. Uh, and I mean, if if you just look at creating content, uh, it's 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 pretty easy for anyone right now to to generate 
text, like actual content that is fairly good, right? And it's pretty easy to take that text and, and produce audio from that text automatically. Uh, you can even deep fake it so it sounds like it's Adam uh, reading that text for you, right? So you, you, you can leverage machines to generate somewhat high quality content, right? Uh, and, you know, there, there probably are use cases for that uh, somewhere around the corner in the future. But I think the the thing with with podcasting and, and like why I enjoy podcasting and, and I imagine yourself as well is that when, when you listen to these creators like every week releasing new episodes and and, and it's it's you kind of build up a relationship with that creator. Uh, and I think it's the I think it's hard to get that relationship feeling by generating content. I mean, it, there's something with humans, you know, saying the wrong things and kind of get that humans touch into the content that that I think makes podcasting sticky. And, and that's makes, you know, you, you want to get to the next week's episode and you're waiting for Thursday morning because your favorite podcaster is releasing. Yeah. You put your headphones in and go for a run. Uh, and I think that that's probably harder to replace uh, with with uh, machine generated content and AI generated content, but but if it's purely about learning, like I wanna I wanna thirty minutes quickly learn more about this new technology, that's probably doable to just tell an algorithm to generate the thirty minute episode for you on that topic, put it in you know one point five uh, speed on the on the playback and and go for that run. It's really interesting that machines use technology to sound more like humans mm. and humans uh, would like to use sometimes technology uh, to behave a bit more like machines to uh, produce uh, content in much faster way since we talk about uh, new advancements in the ai and ml uh, sector do you see interesting trends in the podcasting industry that might leverage those uh, advancements? So I think the, uh, the interesting aspect, you know, coming back to the, to the, how the industry is operating with, with many host uh, providers and, and many clients out there, a lot of the advancements are, you know, you know, some some would claim it's slow, like, and you know, we're based on this old RSS technology, uh, serializing everything to XML. It's inefficient. It's slow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like, even if we would would uh, move beyond that, it's it's still. Uh, I find it really interesting in, to to drive innovation in an ecosystem where you need to create something that is actually beneficial for the industry as a whole. Like, you you can't just run with things that would benefit yourself if it doesn't benefit the other parties in the in, in the industry it's it's likely not going to be around because there's no incentive for anyone to to pick up on that um, so some some of the maybe short win innovations that you know a hosting provider would benefit from or a client would benefit from is somewhat hold back because of that uh, which i don't think is necessarily bad because i think some of the I don't know if you could call it problems, but the, the less good things about the internet and how some of the things have kind of evolved 
it's also harder to kind of uh, just organically quick happen in in, in podcasting. I, I think there's a more of a threshold in doing some quick fixes or short wins for individual companies, and you really need to kind of figure out the long term sustainable innovation for it to to actually uh, get adoption. Uh, so in, in data per se, I mean, I, I, it's still an unsolved problem in terms of how would you create, uh, you know, in incentives for all these parties to exchange and share data to a higher degree. Uh, like, uh, how would that mechanism work? And I, there's been a, several attempts, like, uh, I don't know if you... Uh, follow the that part of the industry but you know we had rad uh, remote uh, audio data uh, i think it stands for uh, that suggested to to embed the bunch of metadata in the id3 tags in the mp3 files so when the player hit those that metadata information that uh, when when doing playback of the audio it could act on that and it could be like callback urls or whatever to to send event data back to whoever is distributing the audio. Uh, similar attempts have been rather than putting it in the MP3 file to put that uh, that information in the RSS feed itself. So like, hey, when you hit these markers, please do these callbacks. Uh, so you can can you know collect met metrics of, of uh, user behavior and different aspects more easily. Uh, but again, like, you, you know, there's a lot of privacy preserving trends and, and uh, people are more and more you know, keen to not be monitored uh, of their usage and so on and so forth. And we see more and more regulations prohibiting companies to do that. You know, the death of the cookies is around the corner and so on and so forth. Podcasting hasn't ended up there again because of all of this. So podcasting had to kind of innovate around that space instead and, and uh, focus much more on the contextual aspect of what are you listening to uh, and i would argue it's turned out to be much more powerful to kind of operate from that contextual because you remove a lot of, of bias in that like you're not profiling individuals of demographic profiles to the same extent and so on and so forth but if, if you're listening and interested in this context and you, you're uh, this show or this episode and, and, and you can do a lot of analysis of, you know, the, the tone of the content or the, the language or semantics, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and leverage that instead of, you know, attributes of you as an individual. Uh, so I think there's a lot of, of very interesting things to uh, do more of in that space. Uh, do you assume that there will be only more and more podcasts because the the podcasting industry but by itself is growing because people enjoy consuming podcasts because you can combine this with other activity like going to a gym uh, commuting to the office uh, cleaning your uh, house uh, plus the advancements in ai industry uh, helps people to be more productive, generate new content much faster. Maybe there will be some uh, bots generating the podcast episodes as well, as you mentioned in the example. So 
the conclusion might be that uh, the number of podcasts and episodes might increase dramatically uh, thanks to that. I, I, I do think so. Uh, I, I think like we're very early where podcasting will will be in a few years from now. I, I, you know, comparing it to other uh, mediums, it's 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 still very early, which is also very exciting. Like the industry is is growing a lot, uh, but there is there there is something with the power of audio, uh, and and there are so many other trends pointing in that direction as well. I mean, how people talk about screen time all the time, and and you know. Uh, you know, have, having kids as a parent, you just want the kids to have less screen time. And and you, if they would say, "Well, I'm just gonna, you know, relax and listen to a podcast instead," I would be extremely happy, right? So th there's something about uh, audio, and as you said, you combining that with doing other activities. Like as soon as you're attached to your screen, you can't really do anything else. You have to pay attention to the screen. Yes, uh, exactly. So I, I, yeah, so I for sure think it's a medium that's going to grow uh, a lot for for many many years going forward. And I, I, you know, I think that technology will probably more evolve the the type of content that will be generated. Going back mm -hmm. to some type of content is is mm -hmm. well again like if, if rather than start googling for something you will learn about, like if you just could tell ChatGPT to. Hey, I got a 25-minute run ahead of me. Uh, give me an, audio, an episode about this, and you can just start listening to that. I mean, that's uh, that's not far out to actually be a thing. Uh, but again, it, I don't think it would be this, you know, building this relationship with the creators mm -hmm. and this kind of fan base that uh, that to me is is what's very interesting about uh, podcasting itself. Mm -hmm. And what can also help to build the relationship with the audience is speaking in their native language. Because right now we speak in English, uh, you speak English perfectly, but uh, for both of us, uh, English is not our native language. Uh, you come from Sweden, I come from Poland, but what I also think might increase the adoption of the podcast is using AI to uh, translate the content from the local language of the podcaster because someone can be very fluent and very nicely speaking in own uh, native language and ai can translate that to uh, other language uh, for instance english do you see a large number of podcasts recorded in local languages or at least non-english uh, speaking podcasts not only swedish polish but maybe french uh, spanish Yes, uh, I mean podcasting is growing in 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 all markets. Uh, we we don't have a strong presence in in Asian uh, languages right now. Uh, Spanish obviously is really big, uh, and and we're we have a lot of podcasters both in France and Germany as well. So we're operating in, in in twelve markets, so we have a lot of different languages. Uh, I I think like automatic translation and I, I i guess we're talking about some type of deep fake again like adam is already sudden you know doing his podcast in, in fluent french right that that would be pretty cool and, and again probably doable i mean it is doable probably as we speak right now but it might be a bit you know not weird but mm -hmm. I, I don't think it would have as a good flow in that generated french uh, podcast and I, again i think it's different type of use cases like as a creator 
you know, if, if to some creators, the what they're creating is important, and and I think a lot of that feeling might get lost in all those steps in terms of translation. So it depends, I think, what type of content. Uh, but there are other use cases, like as uh, parts of the podcast could be localized, right? You could do the introduction in different languages and translate that and then you move to the core in in the native language of the host because that's kind of where the creativity kind of might be a, a part of you speaking polish because that's how you are able to express yourself the best in that space uh and, and the same thing for for advertisers like it's probably a lot easier to reach very localized uh commercial messages if you can on the fly translate and, and produce mm -hmm. uh, a commercial message in in the listeners uh, language uh, where they are regardless of where they're located in the world uh, so, so I think again lots and lots of potential and, and use cases that where that will be applicable yes so there are some challenges to make it very smooth and and build this relationship with the audience but hopefully this might be possible to some extent at least to help some podcasters to reach the wider audience because if you have a podcaster who will need to learn new language uh, to reach uh, a bigger market it might be tricky but maybe ai and, and ml will uh, make it easier and possible and you briefly mentioned the technology stack that you use at acast and can you tell more about the technologies that you use to implement uh, data and analytics pipelines and uh, use cases at your company? Currently, as I mentioned, everything runs in AWS. Yeah. Uh, and we, uh, as a whole, not just for in the data space, we, we try to, uh, we have one of our engineering principles is to, to minimize time spent on maintenance. So we prefer picking something that is you know more managed or serverless uh, in AWS ecosystem to to reduce the cost of maintaining that ourselves uh, so again like s3 parquet Athena is is the data lake data mesh is kind of uh, layer that we have to share data across all the product teams uh, within those teams uh, you know if it's more uh larger volumes of data uh, most of those pipelines are, are written in spark running on emr uh, most teams are using managed airflow uh, for orchestration uh, they run one instance per team we don't have a kind of shared infrastructure for that so we, we try to make that autonomously uh, owned in in each team as well uh, but we're also like again depending on what type of use case it's we some of the stuff we just process in containers in ECS we have lambdas we have you know glue pipelines uh, so just trying to leverage uh, what's available in AWS to 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 get the, the use case done more or less uh, then for our kind of more low latency dashboarding stack we currently use Snowflake. Uh, so we have a bunch of, of pipelines uh, transforming data from uh, from S3 uh, loading it into Snowflake, and we have Looker on top of that uh, for more self-serve dashboarding. Uh, and yeah, I mean that's that's high level the stack uh, we're 
we're working with uh, mostly Python uh, in in data pipelines. Uh, in in the rest of the stack, it's uh, we're more or less a, a JavaScript or TypeScript company these days. Uh, for the high performing uh, parts, uh, we have moved to Rust uh, the last years, uh, which I think I don't know what what your view if. Uh, talked to a, a friend of mine uh, this week about that if I ended up in a filter bubble online uh, but it feels like rust is is starting to gain some traction in in the data ecosystem as well more and more uh, the last year or so yes yes I also see the increased adoption of rust and the fact that more and more engineers use it also in data and machine learning projects. And for example, even this month, at the end of uh, March, we organized the Big Data Tech Warsaw Conference and we'll have there a presentation that ex will explain how you can use Rust libraries to lower infrastructure costs and speed up MLOps in several areas such as data processing, uh, feature store, feature serving and also model serving and things like that. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I, I know you often come come back to with your guests around like open source projects and whatnot that's being used. So uh, in, in between Azure and AWS, we had, and this was around the time when I joined ACOST, it was this ambition to be cloud agnostic and, and try to make more of those choices. Like what can we run regardless of, of cloud provider? Uh, but I think we quite rapidly ended up uh, kind of concluding that that it was too costly for us to try to to maintain that, and decided to be okay with with choosing uh, again like more managed services in AWS and, and deal with a potential vendor lock in. We we get the side effect of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that said, like we're still wherever possible, we we try to to leverage open source software. Uh, but we're we're we don't have a strategy any longer to kind of optimize for those type of use cases. We're we're rather trying to pick things that makes our lives easier and quicker to iterate on on the product value and, and delivering mm -hmm. things. And do you have any uh, plans for 2023 that might change the uh, technology stack that you are using? For instance, do you have any interesting uh, technologies on your radar? We do. Um, I, I think uh, as for most tech companies, uh, the last nine months have been uh, interesting to say the least. And, and we as, as most companies as well have pivoted away from a hyper growth uh, strategy into, uh, you know, hitting profitability uh, sooner than than the original business plan we had so this year is is very much more focused on you know finding efficiencies and and i think more looking at uh you know converging some technology choices and identifying like here we have two very similar things and the cost of trying to keep this up and running isn't really outweighing the the, the benefits of it and consolidating some you know both choices in the stack and some systems and pipelines and whatnot. Uh, so I think that the investments that are being made this year, rather than than introducing a lot of of new things in that space, it's it's much more about uh, finding more efficiency and and 
uh, kind of setting the foundation to to get out of this uh, macroeconomic situation on a on a, mm-hmm. a high growth curve again and and have a really uh, lean and and uh, kind of slick foundation to to operate on mm-hmm. yeah but still i hope that uh the costs that you pay for the cloud will grow because you will have more and more podcasters and more and more users. So you will have more uh, server logs to store and analyze. Absolutely. But but I think, again, I don't, I don't know if I would call it a trend, but I, I see more and more companies kind of questioning some of their cloud spend and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, if it's reasonable to move the, the high load things to auto cloud again and start operating on a more hybrid mm-hmm. uh, approach. Uh, I mean, cloud is 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 great when you're using what you're paying for, but I think a lot of of companies, including ourselves, like some of the use cases we have, it's just costing more because uh, mm-hmm. we're we're paying for all these extras that we're not really leveraging and don't really need. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's probably and especially with with the macro you know economic environment that companies and tech companies are in right now to kind of revisit some of their cloud vendors and i think if you look in the big data space obviously there's quite a big uh, cloud invoice every month uh, related to to data so uh, i think that's probably something that yes. we'll see more and more of yes that's true uh, we can joke that a cfo becomes important part of the, each data team and mm-hmm. uh, CFO can add interesting requirements to, your, to the implementation of your data projects and data architecture. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the, 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 the financial aspect is, is always obviously important, but I think even more so uh, these days to really understand how money is spent and what value you're creating with it. Yes, and we have still a few minutes left. So I would like to ask the final question about the most challenging aspects of the data-specific projects in the podcasting industry. So could you tell us more about the challenges that you need to face when working on data and analytics in your industry? I, I coming back to what we mentioned earlier, I, I think it is, and it obviously it's a challenge, but I think it's it's part of the design of the podcasting industry, which is is both good and bad. But the fact that uh, you know big advancements in terms of what data you know we are collecting and sharing and whatnot in the industry needs to be uh, kind of agreed upon and and uh, adopted uh, and it, there it's not just one single player that that will be able to to decide that uh, uh, and I think that's that is a challenge but it's also uh, I would argue the a good thing in podcasting again we're we're preventing you know and any one of the big tech to just come in and set the rules and and start, you know, quite privacy intrusive, follow everyone across the entire web. Uh, That's, uh, that's not possible in podcasting right now. And and personally, I don't think that's a a good model to operate either. And we see that regulations are starting to come in. Uh, And the good thing for a cost and podcasting is we, we, we don't have to change away from that. Like the online business have to, 
pivot away from that. We we're not in that position. Like we have a sustainable business without that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's I, I think podcasting is probably at the position where we can can innovate even further uh, in in that space. And and from a data point of view, I think that's uh, that is a super interesting aspect of of the podcasting industry. When you were responding to that question, I was also thinking about the fact that you uh, provide the open platform for podcasters so that everyone can join and distribute uh, the podcast to other podcasting apps, as many as many as he or she wants. However, there is also some uh, competition for the content in the podcasting industry, and some companies have exclusive content that is available only on their platforms so that this can drive the, the, the traffic to their platform and increase the number of users. And do you see that this trend to continue or more and more podcasters will choose to, to use the open platform like Acast? I, I, I think the open platforms uh, like Acast is is the winner in the long run here. Uh, that said, I, I, there's always going to be creators who, uh, for whatever reasons, is, is better suited to be exclusive on certain platforms. I mean, it could be... Again, what what why is Acast here? We're here to help podcasters make money and grow their audience. And and some type of content, you know, they might make more money and grow their audience better in a closed ecosystem somewhere else. Uh, but I think for the vast majority of of uh, content creators operating in a, in an open ecosystem where your your content can be consumed anywhere is going to be beneficial in terms both those aspects to to you know help the podcaster make more money and grow their audience they're going to have a much much wider reach uh operating like that and and uh as you know being hosted with a cost uh your show can be consumed anywhere it can be assumed in, in apple's podcast player in, in spotify in you know whatever listening destination we have because we distribute that content everywhere uh so i i yeah, I mean, I'm really convinced that the the open mm-hmm. model of podcasting is is uh, is the long term winner in this. Mm-hmm. I will open the Acast UI to check how many platforms uh, I'm using to distribute our show. Let, let so the one the ones you see in our tool are the ones where, uh, like, some of the bigger platforms. Uh, you know, we we have some more kind of agreement with of how uh, how we integrate and, and push the content but we given how how uh, podcasting works i mean it's similar to you know hosting an html page on a on a uh, web hosting somewhere you don't necessarily know everyone fetching mm-hmm. that html page and the same thing with rss like well we see that uh, someone is fetching it but there are probably thousands of platforms uh where mm-hmm. your podcast can be consumed that's that's not listed in that. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. So, so those are more the, the major ones where we have uh, tighter relationships with and, and integrations with. Yes, I'm checking that uh, that we use Spotify, Samsung Podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, of course, YouTube. But what is also interesting is the fact that you don't have to use the podcasting application. You can also listen directly through the website. Hmm. Yeah, but this this might be uh, less convenient, but still it's it's possible. 
Yeah, I mean, we see uh, uh, we see a lot of people consuming podcasts uh, in 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 the web browser as well. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, maybe they're at work or at home, or or you know, it's mm -hmm. it's the easiest way you search for a podcast and and you get a, a Google result linking into a player somewhere where you can just start listening to it. Uh, so it's it's really easily uh, accessible uh, format to 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 get a hold of. Um, think of another data challenge, which isn't really, you know, data per se, but it's it's interesting that there's no there's no kind of canonical truth of what uh, like uh, identifier of a show in podcasting, which is is uh, an interesting challenge for anyone operating in this uh, this industry as well. So it's it's pretty easy. Like I could take your S feed. And and replicate your show on pretty much every hosting provider. Mm -hmm. uh, so then your show would exist in in like twenty replicas. Uh, and from an outside, it's really hard to know which which hosting provider are you currently publishing to. Mm -hmm. uh, so like the what is the canonical truth of your show right now? Uh, so that's something that uh, all platforms have to solve for themselves because there is no kind of central registry where you can tell the world that I know my podcast exists in 20 places, but this one is the real one. Uh -huh. Yes, yes. So it's really interesting. So like in, online, that's to some extent solved. Like you have... DNS lookups and you kind of you register your domain and you can route traffic and you kind of uh, somehow know what is what but that that's that kind of global registry of what shows exist and how do we identify this specific show and, and you might sh change platform as well you might leave Acast and go to another hosting platform and two months later you go to another platform mm -hmm. and then depending on when in time you have different hosting providers and you have different show URLs. So, but there's no, no identifier that is kind of consistent yes. with your show as you, as you progress throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Yes. But if, yes. if you're building a podcast rep, you need to know that because you need to be able to make sure that the listeners are subscribing to your show and not someone else's replicated show. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, definitely. So it introduces a lot of complexity and makes it more difficult to implement some useful use cases on top of that later. Exactly, exactly. And and this is also com coming back to the, you know, Podchaser's knowledge graph of podcasting, mm -hmm. having, you know, built that ecosystem and, and uh, you know, solved for a lot of those use cases. So what is what and who is who? in this space, uh, which is, is super interesting in, in how that can drive the entire industry forward in so many use cases. Absolutely. Yes, so this, this concludes uh, our podcast episode. Uh, Jonas, I would like to thank you for our conversation and sharing your insights with us. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. This was super fun. Mm -hmm.